there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. When it comes to that big transition of becoming a parent, what are some of the things that come to mind when it comes to preparation? How are you going to prepare for this transition and for postpartum? A few things that might come to mind for many of us. Well, we want to spend a lot of time maybe preparing the nursery. Maybe we want to make sure that we have a really solid checklist of things that we want to register for, for a baby shower, or that we want to have ready and prepared for when the baby is here. Maybe you take a birthing class, but how many of us actually spend time preparing emotionally for this big transition. And then let's say for conversation's sake that you do think it's important to try and prepare emotionally for this big transition and for postpartum. Where do we even begin? How do you prepare emotionally for such a thing? If these are questions that you have, then you're in the right place. I invited Nicole Makoka, who is the head of education and well-being over at Loom, onto the podcast to explore the ways in which we can be preparing our emotions for postpartum. We discuss some of the unexpected but common emotions that can come with this big transition and actual steps that you can start taking today to prepare emotionally for postpartum. I'm really glad you're here and really honored to get a chance to spend the next 45 minutes or so with you talking about this really, really important topic. You're going to walk away learning so much from this conversation. So let's dive in. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and have this conversation with me. I'm really excited to get a chance to dive in with you on our topic today. Thank you so much. I am too, and thank you for having me. So before before we dive in, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background. I'm always so curious to hear what inspired someone to get into the work that they do, how they got to where they are now. And I think for the listeners, it just provides helpful context, you know, to kind of understand who am I listening to? And uh, once we dive into the topic here that we'll be exploring later. So yeah, what, what got you into the work you're doing today? Um, well, it's a great question. So I am a marriage and family therapist and an educator, and um, I am the head of education and well-being at Loom now, which is a digital platform that empowers women through inclusive and non-judgmental education on sexual and reproductive health. Um, 
And my sort of journey here was um, (laughs) nonlinear, like everybody's (laughs) is, even though we imagine that it's just going to be like a straight line from beginning to end. Um, But when I started, I was you know, an MFT working in a full-time clinical practice. And I was working primarily with families and children. Mm -hmm. And um, it was before I became a mother myself. And so I was really passionate around working with children and then the family system. And I was really trained in a systems orientation. And then when I became a mother, I you know, to be honest, it was like the cliche of necessity as the mother of invention. I thought I was a therapist. My community was a bunch of therapists and healthcare practitioners. Um, I felt like I had built a real sort of communal support system, Mm -hmm. but I like just needed more. And I felt like I was insatiable looking for like a certain kind of support that felt honest and rooted in empathy, but also in education and also in choice. And it was like, I couldn't find my footing anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, it like really shook me up. And so through like lots of different cosmic events, um, I connected with Erica Chitty, who is the co-founder and CEO of Loom. Mm-hmm. many, many years ago. And we bonded over that shared sort of need and desire around exactly what I was looking for. So we began collaborating and then, um, you know, working on building out the postpartum offerings at Loom's physical space. And then we just kind of grew from there. And now we've evolved into a digital platform um, and we launched our first education program over the summer, which focuses on pregnancy and postpartum. So as a a fellow MFT who is also a mother, I can so much relate to, you know, just sort of that feeling of, you know, with my first, she's 10 now. And so, gosh, you know, over 10 years ago, um, I was a therapist in training and I was pregnant and I was like, I know, I know the drill. Like I know about the importance of support and education and I know how to prepare for this. And then, and then I had her and it just so many elements rocked me and my partner. You know, at the time I had no idea that postpartum depression, anxiety, that postpartum mental health was something that could uniquely also impact partners as well. And my partner experienced depression during the postpartum period. And it was just, it it just, it totally shook us to the core. Um, And And just in terms of also support, like I was the first of my friends to have a baby and I thought that – I just thought the relationships were going to shift and change in these really beautiful ways and then it didn't happen that way and I was like, whoa, I'm a therapist and I felt like I was prepared and there were so many things here that I was not emotionally or relationally prepared for. And once we healed, right, once those 
wounds um, and some became scars. Um, and we did our, I did my own work and we did our own work that became the muse for the work I do today. And it sounds like you had a similar experience. And so it's just always really fun to con- connect with other therapists who can just kind of like get real with the human side of things where it's like, <laughs> this is this is a hard, this is a hugely hard transition that so many of us are not fully prepared for. And so my question for you here to start us off is when it comes to postpartum preparation, you know, prep that goes into the like so much of us so many of us prepare for the birth, right? We will take a birthing class or we prepare the nursery, you know, we have all of that set up. And then we have a baby shower. So maybe we're really spending a lot of time on like curating our registry to make sure we have all the things. But oftentimes a little prep is going into the emotional experience of becoming a parent and postpartum. So before we get into like what can we do here, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why is this? Why is it the case that we spend time and money on these other elements, but so much of the kind of emotional relational pieces are not necessarily being given as much time and attention? This is such a great question. And I've been thinking about this with a lot of clients and with our community at Loom for years now, because you're so right. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons that as a culture, we place so much significance on getting to a goal or like what I call, quote unquote, the main event. (laughs) Like we tend to be very (laughs) oriented and conditioned to these like singular experiences. And then we want to create celebrations around the singular experience. Um, Like, you know, when people are focusing on like planning the perfect wedding, but not at all focused on the marriage. So there is this like, there's this cultural conditioning that has happened. And then sort of peeling back a layer as a therapist, I know that 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 can actually be like a very sort of protective coping strategy because there's a lot of discomfort that comes up when it comes to introducing complexity inside of an experience. So I think sometimes the default might feel a little easier, like a little bit more palatable to just say, if we can do everything we can to prep for the birth that is my goal birth, or Mm -hmm. if I can do everything I can to like get all the stuff in order, then I tangibly have controlled this situation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the reality that we know is that that's just like wallpapering over the real Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have a lot of compassion for this sort of way of thinking because I think if you like let me peel back another layer, it's that you know, historically, education about women's bodies has been very undervalued. We haven't really given it time, focus, or attention structurally, starting from childhood. And so, you know, for folks, like, there's never been a consistent modeling or, like, a broad shared language when talking to each other about our emotional experiences around anything related to sexual reproductive health. But 
also, you know, within that becoming a parent or moving through the postpartum experience. So it's like when we don't know how, we shy away from doing it. And it takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of bravery to sort of stop that conditioned kind of autopilot response and to kind of be curious around like, what am I trying to control here and what am I not paying attention to? Um, And I think for a lot of people, it just feels like too heavy of a lift sometimes. Um, Mm. And it requires a lot of support and like a lot of self-compassion to know that, you know, when something hasn't been modeled for you, when we haven't um, sort of gone through a holistic education around what this could look like, it can feel pretty daunting. So... Mm. I don't know. It's sort of a long answer to a complicated question, but I I do think that, you know, focusing on these like very sort of tangible one and done experiences um, can sort of be the coping strategy that prevents us from going a little deeper. You're speaking my love language here because what you're doing here, which I so appreciate is you're connecting in with the internal experience of the individual, right? So much that we feel is out of our control um, and such a huge transition to know is coming in front of us, becoming a parent, right? And yes. and now there's, there's a lot more being shared and said about postpartum and we just, there's so many different ways it can go and it's so complex, right? Um, the challenges we can have or the things that will not be challenging or just the, the emotional relational experience as a whole. And so what I hear you saying is, you know, both for the individual there's going to be understandably so a desire to focus our attention on what we can control on something that might have like a checklist component to it that Mm -hmm. has an ending and a beginning and feels complete, such as, you know, a birth plan um, and focusing on the ideal birth that you're desiring or the registry or the nursery, right? It's there's a start, There's a, it's complete, it's I know I can take a class on this or I can check off this list. Um, and it can give us a sense of control around something that feels there's so many unknowns. But what you're also doing here is then you're zooming out to the larger systems and history around this piece of um, reproductive health and acknowledging that there's been historically just a lot of silencing and shaming around the experience, right? And so it's and what I love about that is when we talk about compassion, it's so much easier to show compassion to those messier parts of our lives or the more vulnerable experiences that we have as humans when we can zoom out and say, you know, it makes a lot of sense that this feeling is showing up here or that this feels hard for me because I have an understanding to the context. And there's even there's even more layers in there for each individual person, right? Their own family history, their own exactly. um, relational dynamics. And so, girl, you're speaking my love language here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no need to apologize for the long answer to a very complex question because this all these pieces are really key ingredients to navigating this 
um, these steps of building compassion as you prepare for postpartum for all the things that can show up beyond just the perfect registry and the, you know, complete nursery, you know? Exactly, exactly. Mm. Okay, so when it comes to some of the common common being so helpful here, but yet can oftentimes be so unexpected emotions of postpartum. What are some of these? What are some of these emotional experiences that a lot of um, birthing people might find themselves experiencing um, and might find themselves surprised to be experiencing? Okay. I, first of all, I just have to say, I love this question. I love how you phrased it because I think that language is really, really important here. So mm-hmm. I just want to start by breaking down two things. So when I am talking about postpartum, I'm, I'm referring to the period after birth. So not necessarily a mood disorder and I'm not creating a kind of fixed expiration date on what postpartum mm-hmm. is. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. will, will say to me, well, like, how long is postpartum? And for some people, they'll define it by a number of years. For some people, they say they're permanently postpartum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah. other people, they'll say, mm, I felt postpartum for about a year. And I, I just, I want to open up that space and say that this is really a time period. It's not necessarily a disorder. Yeah. And then second, I just really love transitioning language into saying common versus normal because Mm. what I will flag is that some of these very common experiences can be incredibly challenging Mm -hmm. and incredibly depleting. And Mm -hmm. when we when I've been working with families or what I hear from, you know, a lot of birthing people postpartum is that when someone says, oh, that's totally normal, it actually stops me from taking that step to get a little bit more support because yes. it sort of signals to me there's nothing wrong here. So mm-hmm. I just want to say that like it can be common and you, you can also seek support um, and right. that you don't have to tolerate something that is common that is incredibly complex on your own. Yep. So that's like a, that's my kind of caveat there. But I will say that some of the surprising emotions for folks are a real state of ambivalence mm. um, and a lot of shame that comes up in mm. postpartum. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I have noticed is that there tends to be a expectation. And I don't know if it's just shaped by, you know, a lot of stories that we tell one another as we move through our experiences and kind of pass along our wisdom to other people that, um, you know, people have this expectation like postpartum is, you know, just this kind of downtime, like this more like low energy time, Mm -hmm. which it can be for sure. But um, I have... I've seen that people often find it surprising that sometimes they're pretty keyed up yeah. in this postpartum um, time period and that that is like, you know, not what they expected. And so, you know, just those kind of 
maybe less talked about feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's like even internally, like less highlighted feelings, like the feelings that you anticipate that you're going to have are not these mixed ambivalent feelings. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think a lot of people go into – you know, early postpartum thinking that they're going to feel a lot of shame. Um, So Mm -hmm. those are the ones that I would just kind of be mindful of and um, spend a little bit of time, you know, emotionally preparing for. Oh, I so appreciate this because I do think that especially now, thank goodness, there is a lot more dialogue and information being shared in ways that's very approachable and talking about um, sadness, you know, mm-hmm. um, which can sometimes be experienced as depression um, or anxiety as more of like a diagnosable mental health condition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and mom guilt, um, but the ones that you're name and even anger, um, rage. You know, like more people are talking mm-hmm. now about this experience of postpartum rage. But I love what you're talking about here, which is I think. A lot of exp- what a lot of folks can experience behind closed doors, but maybe doesn't always they don't always have the words or the language to kind of name this experience. Where it's like it's not maybe it's not depression. I don't know if this is anxiety, but I feel and it feels like more than mom guilt. So the things you're naming here, ambivalence. Like I, I don't see very many people walking around saying, you know, what I experienced postpartum was ambivalence. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> That is not one that is commonly addressed or named, but gosh, yes, can be can be very common. And I love the caveat you shared because I think a lot of times what people will try to do is to normalize an experience saying, mm-hmm. oh, that is really normal. Lots of other people experience these things. But like you're describing here, I think that that effort to normalize can sometimes then unfortunately shut down the conversation or the step to saying that you can actually feel better. Um, and that's, that's not helpful. So you named ambivalence here. Um, you named, uh, shame, which is, you know, guilt being the emotion of I've done something wrong. I've messed up and shame being that really painful space of feeling like maybe there's actually something deeply wrong with me. Uh, mm-hmm. I can imagine someone who's listening who maybe is saying, wow, I have felt ambivalent about this transition or becoming a parent. And now maybe I'm feeling shame about that, that maybe there's actually something deeply wrong with me that I would feel this ambivalence. And so um, these can be connected as well. And and then you also mentioned here that sort of like feeling more like buzzy, you know, like and and I think that this anxiety can definitely have that symptom of feeling kind of like a caged animal, kind of like that um a, that that stress response revs up a little bit in a way that kind of keeps us feeling like this isn't a downtime that we anticipated. Um but sometimes that can just be that can be a common experience that has even physiological roots connected to it. Um, you know, our ancestors who were the most likely ones to survive were the ones who were probably more on high alert, a little bit more revved up and a little bit more, uh, you know, easily 
shifting into that fight or flight response because back then they needed to be more so in order to keep themselves and their young safe. And 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 so many other reasons why we might find ourselves feeling that sort of like adrenaline or that sort of like feeling like this is not this doesn't feel like the downtime that I anticipated when I was maybe saying gosh now I'm going to have my maternity leave and I'm going to have this few months off and I'm going to have all this downtime it's it might not be experienced that way yeah, but I'd love to yeah. kind of come back to this ambivalence piece cuz I think that this one especially I do not hear many people name that Hey there, your host, Dr. Cassidy, popping in with a quick message for those of you who are expecting. I wanted to share Prepared Postpartum with you. Prepared Postpartum is an online course and supportive community for expecting parents that I've developed alongside with an OBGYN, Dr. Christine Sterling. We bridged our two worlds together to bring you this self-paced online course filled with video lessons that you can watch on your own or with your partner. And we cover all the things when it comes to preparing for postpartum. In the course, Dr. Sterling's got you covered when it comes to the physical and the logistical components of postpartum, healing from birth, whether it's a belly birth or a vaginal birth, supporting your pelvic floor postpartum, as well as navigating the feeding journey, whether it's through bottle or breast. And we also talk about sleep deprivation and how to get restorative rest even when your baby isn't sleeping through the night. And then I come in with the support for you in preparing emotionally and relationally for postpartum. There are videos in there for you and your partner to support you in really establishing strong communication between the two of you, ways to feel connected after you become parents, navigating things like setting boundaries, maybe with extended family, and also making sure that you're preparing those family relationships. If you have an older child, there's also a lesson in there and how to prepare the older child for a baby. And we talk about ways that you can navigate some of the big feelings that can show up for you. Also the shifts and changes in your identity and how to overcome overwhelm when those overwhelming moments postpartum inevitably show up for you. Because here's the thing, postpartum can be hard. There's also so many moments in there that you're going to want to be present for, and we want to give you the skills and the tools to feel equipped to navigate the hard stuff that shows up so that you can enjoy, enjoy the good stuff too. All right? So if you want to learn more about prepared postpartum, head to the link in the show notes. Let's get back to the conversation. Like if we were to really dive deeper into this ambivalence, like what might that actually look like? What might that feel like? What might be some of the thoughts that are popping into someone's head that they might then say, oh, there's a word for this. This is actually ambivalence and this is something that others experience. What what might that look like? Yeah. So, you know, I can, I can see it playing out so many different ways. Um, you know, to start with, I think just this idea of this is a huge identity shift, you know, even if this is a wanted pregnancy or you are a choice parent and you have been wanting to have a child and now this child is yours, there is this um, misconception that like as soon as you have your baby that like 
all of your other pieces of who you are in the world will just magically fit together perfectly and make space for who you are as a parent to this child. And um, it doesn't, it's often like there's a lot more jagged edges involved. And so there can be this sense of, well, I, I wanted this, so I should feel incredibly filled up Mm -hmm. and then be having a different experience and saying, well, I did want this and I do love getting to know this baby and I know that I'm going to be patient with myself and get to know who I am as a parent, but I also sort of miss the identity that I had before that doesn't doesn't feel like there's a lot of space for who that person was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it can feel really disintegrating. It can feel like, you know, you had a lot of um, roles that you were playing in the world, whether it was in your family system or in your social circle or even in a faith-based community or, you know, in a career um, as a sexual person, as a child of, you know, other parents, like there's a million different roles that make up one person and, and then, you know, not being prepared for the sense of mixed feelings around what we are told is supposed to be the most joyful, the most profound, mm-hmm. the um, happiest time in our lives. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and I think there's also, like you said, you know, there's very few people walking around very publicly and more so now, which is so helpful, but, you know, really sharing that, like, sometimes it takes a while to find your footing as a parent. Mm-hmm. And if, if you are a a person who has moved through the world really figuring out how to navigate your experiences and feel really comfortable and at ease in those experiences, it can be really destabilizing um, with, you know, learning how to do something new. And so many people don't think that parenting is really a skill. Um, Like you're just supposed to have instincts about everything. And that's not the case. And so I think that there's a lot of like whiplash feelings. Like Mm. I want to be doing this, but I also miss this other part of me or I miss feeling like I have mastery over something. Like I miss feeling like I know how to figure something out. Um, And so just that kind of sort of discomfort in holding multiple feelings all at the same time is kind of that ambivalence that I'm talking about. Mm. You're bringing me back to my first postpartum, you know, over a decade ago and feeling at the time like, oh, I was like, I was known amongst my friends and family as someone who always wanted to become a mother and then when I had those those thoughts of wanting to escape, those thoughts of did we make a mistake because of how overwhelming it was at that time for us, and just and then the shame of like what's wrong with me that I'm mm-hmm. feeling this way, 
And it was paired with feeling like I want to keep her safe and I want to and, – and, and there were those moments, those like really sweet moments of like seeing her skin to skin with my partner and just feeling this like deep love in that moment. But then also having thoughts of looking at my my baby at the time and being like, she doesn't look like how I thought she was going to look. And like mm-hmm. I feel like she's a little alien who's just <laughs> completely disrupted our lives. And now that at this moment of being in the car by myself and listening to music and not having the baby in the back, I remember the first time I did that, just like relishing in that aloneness of being in that car mm-hmm. alone and feeling like I was I was missing this part of me. And then just feeling like – and then, uh, then the quick shame of – what kind of mother would think that, you know? Um, and so what shame oftentimes does is it has a silencing effect, right? It's like nobody can see this part of me. So what I will do is put on the mask of having – the putting on the mask of having it all together, of um, loving every moment. And it's not that it was all, all a mask. There were definitely moments that were – cherished and loved, but it was so much more complex than that. But unfortunately, the shame mask oftentimes keeps people at a distance as a way to protect those more vulnerable experiences. And it just keeps us from getting the support that we need. And so I'm, I'm just so grateful that you're naming this here because I know I could relate to it in my first postpartum experience and guaranteed that someone who's listening Many who are listening right now are potentially nodding their head um, and having a name for it. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what are some of the ways in which parents, whether um, it's going to be through birth or adoption and they're going to be transitioning into this role as a parent, what are some ways in which parents can prepare for some of the unexpected emotions of postpartum? Um, So I would say, you know, and I know that you'll be really familiar with this, but just like, you know, that concept of starting where you are and, Mm -hmm. and really begin by thinking about what is your relationship and what is your comfort level with asking for help and receiving it? Because I think going back to this idea of identities and you know our roles in the world prior to becoming parents, um, there are a lot of folks that have been able to figure out a lot on their own. And, you know, we aren't really meant to be parenting singularly or even within our tiny little households. And so getting used to and just kind of getting to know yourself like in a real authentic way, like what is my comfort level with asking for help? Does that bring up some shame for me? Does that bring up a side of me that feels like I need to apologize for asking for it. And can I, you know, be willing to receive the help once I've asked for it is a really great place to start. This actually can Mm -hmm. be incredibly illuminating for a lot of people. Um, 
And then, you know, looking at the cultural norms around the postpartum period can help with setting a real expectation for um, who is around, who you want to be around, what are they doing, how is the birthing person or the new parent being cared for. And if you are in a partnership, um, you know, and, and you're origin cultures are different than like having a clear conversation around like what is expected in my culture? What is expected for me? Do we align with the culture? Do we want to create our own culture of what care during postpartum looks and feels like for us? Um, So that's like some really great kind of thought prep work. I will also say that pregnancy is a really great time or waiting for the baby is a really great time to get education around this concept of the fourth trimester and really broadening it so that it's not just like the fourth trimester for the baby, but what is really the fourth trimester for the parent and thinking about ways to, you know, prepare again, like have really honest expectations around that time period. And then if you have a partner or a support person that's going to be helping to care for the child, start practicing conversations around boundaries, financial Mm -hmm. conversations, Mm -hmm. how to manage downtime, what does that look like? So, you know, like, those are all those can all be really tricky conversations at the best of times. Mm-hmm. But what I always say is like, you don't want those first conversations to be during a like transformative postpartum period, because it will feel more charged. Like try to find a rhythm, try to find a flow of how to talk about these more kind of tricky hot topics um, ahead of time and practice because sometimes it's like surprising that, you know, during financial conversations, my husband needs to be walking around the house. <laughs> and the first few times I was like, why, like this feel, I'm you, you feel really unfocused. And he was like, no, this is like how I regulate my nervous system when we're talking about <laughs> finances. And we needed to kind of get through that so that then when it comes to the stuff that inevitably comes up, we will be able to like have a little bit of shorthand with one another. Um, so I think that practicing that, like being very intentional around setting aside that time can be really important. And then lastly, this is something that doesn't get a lot of airtime and we spend a lot of time in our classes focused on this, but um thinking about what your sensory experience is, and I'm sure that you will relate Mm -hmm. to this, but, you know, becoming a parent really like ups the ante on how often you are touching your baby and how touched you are. And so thinking about your own sort of sensory profile and your um, needs, are there specific strategies that you can actually set up for yourself ahead of time to have a more regulated, integrated experience? We have heard from so many people like this level of overwhelm surprises them. And, you know, doing simple things like always having a 
baseball hat or a sun hat in your stroller so that when you're taking a walk, you can sort of filter out some of that stimulation can be um, really beneficial. It can actually like help you feel more integrated in the experience. Maybe, you know, when you're setting up a space for, you know, a nursery or some uh, somewhere where you want to put a glider or rocking chair to soothe the baby, is it helpful to be able to have the lights off in that space all the time? Is that less stimulating for you? Because it's really... Um, it takes a toll on our nervous system and it takes a real toll on our sensory experience. And so just like thinking ahead of time and, you know, prepping for the baby is a really good time to do this. Like what actually feels good for me? What does this feel like in my body? And are there little hacks or strategies that I can do to make this one particular experience feel a little bit more integrated? Mm. Okay. This is gold here. I am, what I'm what I'm gathering from some of these key pieces that you're touching on is you're ask you're you're inviting someone to really take stock of their of the whole picture as they prepare for navigating into this transformative transition, uh, both from the level of the systems around them and so family systems boundaries. Gosh, if there are any um, challenge, challenges in extended family relationships, um, bringing a child into the system has the effect at times, very often, of amplifying some of those things because now there's potentially a grandchild involved if that's mm-hmm. the relation. Um, taking a look and taking stock of the partner relationship, what are some of the sticking points for us or the you know, communication dynamics, pursuer, distancer, um, what are some of our cycles that we kind of get caught up in and doing that work now um, because as you identified, trying to have those conversations for the first time during postpartum when you're sleep deprived and literally your brain is going to be changed from that sleep deprivation mm-hmm. and make everything rougher around the edges. Um that's going to be really challenging. And so doing that earlier on um, and then looking at other systems and other relational sort of touching points. So the work system, what are boundaries there that maybe need to shift for once um, the baby is here or when you do go back to work, if you do plan to do that, uh, friendships. Um, and so you're kind of looking at it from these sort of relational systems around the individual, and then you're kind of coming inward to take stock of the internal experience. So is there a history there of anxiety or depression? Um, what are some of the in personal triggers for you? And the sensory piece here, oh my gosh, is that something that is so key and so often overlooked? Um, but we hear a lot of people talk about it in terms of once they're in the thick of it, right? We are starting to hear Mm -hmm. more people talk about like sensory overwhelm, sensory overload, and just sensory – the sensory experience of our lives being something that people are talking more about. I know for myself, um, both my uh, both of my older children have sensory processing challenges, and just getting support for them 
opened my eyes and my partner's eyes to looking at our own sensory sensitivities. But if you are able to take stock of some of those things during pregnancy, so paying attention to the impact that you have when it comes to touch uh, or ever feeling touched out, um, smell, um, you know, the the world around you. So what when you see a mess, like what does that do for you? <laughs> you know, um, when yes. things feel out of order, disorganized, temperature, all of these things, and noting that. And what I'm hearing you say is noting that early on, um, and then finding ways to be proactive about that in postpartum. And so whether that means, you know, knowing that okay, if I am going to be navigating, becoming a, a, a food source for my child and, you know, breast or chest feeding. And I am going to, and I know that I get touched out like pretty, I, I do get touched out. Like my, I don't want my partner touching me sometimes. <laughs> I don't want mm-hmm. the dog. I don't want the dog coming to lay on me <laughs> or the cat rubbing up against me. You know, imagine that amplified because <laughs> you will have a little one laying on you, touching you, um, and then and needing you, right? Um, mm-hmm. From with that physical touch component, quite often there's going to be um, crying. There's going to be, you know, the house is going to feel like there's more stuff in it, or things are going to you're going to have less time to organize. Um, there's going to be night sweats. There's going to be um, the temperature and the taste, like all the textures and all the sensory stuff. I love that we're touching on this because if we can do that work ahead of time and take note of those things, then we can set things in place to prepare for that. And maybe it's a conversation with our support people about actually ahead of time finding ways for you to get alone time, right? Like if you're going to go into the – like you know, setting up, even preparing the dog, you know, like preparing the dog that like right now the dog joins you in the restroom every time you go to the bathroom. But maybe before the baby comes, we're going to train the dog to not come into the bathroom because you just want to be in the bathroom alone and not be needed or touched for a little bit there, you know? So these, and I love just like the, the sunglasses, the hats, like the um, environment, the lighting, the support that's going to come in and help you, whether you know that you're going to need help with the mess because visual sensory overload is a thing, or you know that you're going to want someone to come and just hold the baby so you cannot, you can have that separation and not be touched for a period of time. Just taking stock of that can be really proactive. I really appreciate you naming that here. It's so important. You're taking me back. I have a seven-year-old and I remember, and I, I, you know, even though like we said, we're both therapists, we were both educated in this, but yet like when it's you, it feels totally different. I remember feeling like this incredible amount of overwhelm every time I would have to be changing my son's diaper and my hair would Mm. fall in my face. Mm. And it was like that I like couldn't, I, I was like, on the verge every time. And I told my husband and it was just like a thing that I realized that I needed. Like I need a bowl of hair ties Mm -hmm. everywhere around the house. And he was just like, okay. (laughs) And you know, cause to him, he was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the one thing. Um, (laughs) 
And what I realized now after the fact was like I was having my nervous system was already so sort of dysregulated that the one little sensory thing that was causing me discomfort was enough to just pull me out of the situation. Mm. And so, you know, just this easy thing of having a visual cue of like there's this little bowl and it has hair ties in it. And when I put him down, I could just really quickly like put my hair up in a bun and get it out of my face. And I felt better instantaneously. So sometimes it's just like building that awareness is really the work. And then the solve for it can be these teeny tiny simple things. Yeah. And I think it's even, it's more than just the hair, the bowl and the hair ties. It's you acknowledging a need that you have and knowing that 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 you are worthy to have that need and to have that need be addressed. And then a, a tangible thing to communicate to your partner that he could actually have some agency in helping you with. And now that bowl and those hair ties is also maybe a symbol of care from him too, right? That like you were able to communicate that and this is something tangible that he can do and has awareness of now that this is something that you're experiencing, a part of your internal experience. And just those key pieces there, yeah, it's so much more than just a bowl of hair ties, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that. Well, okay, so – so, my gosh, so appreciate the conversation we had today and um, grateful to the listeners for sticking around to get to these golden nuggets. And I'd love to hear now where people can find you and continue to learn from you and the resources that you have available for the postpartum community or expecting community. Yeah, yeah so um, please, you know, visit our website, loomhq.com. Like I said, we have a pregnancy and postpartum class offering now and then, you know, more to come. Um, And follow us at loomhq on Instagram. We have a lot of educational posts and just sort of community posts um, and Twitter. And, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We love hearing from folks and hope that you know, we can continue to do the work that we do to support everyone through this journey. Thank you so much, Nicole. So grateful to have had a chance to chat with you today and to share this conversation. And I just appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OB-GYN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.